0: At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. All right. Hey, good morning, North Point. Happy Valentine's Day, church. Everybody ready to celebrate love today? Wow. wow. Uh, yeah, sure, I, I guess. That was, that was good, guys. Way to go on that one. Hey, um, hopefully you guys were following along with some of those questions, kind of answering as you went through, kind of what would you do for love, what would you not do for love. I have no idea why St. Valentine is associated with beekeepers. That is the weirdest and coolest thing in the world to me. Uh, I can tell you one thing I would not do for love is absolutely anything with snakes. I don't do snakes. I have abandoned my wife in a house with a snake before, so like... <laughs> I don't do snakes at all, all right, whatsoever. Uh, and I will say that love has absolutely changed my view of everything, and I'm hoping it will for you too as we dive into uh, the Word this morning. Here, uh, we are about halfway through our NT90 series, guys, uh, which means that we're about halfway through our uh, through the New Testament and 90-day reading plan. Hopefully, you are uh, still hanging with us on that through you version, Maybe you've missed a few days or you haven't jumped in yet. That's okay. Uh, we've got some cards floating around. Jump back in to be a part of that, man. It is so important to be in God's Word. Uh, it is life-giving. It is just incredibly important that we're a part of that uh, so that it can change us all of the time. Uh, as we've been reading through the New Testament, one of the unique things about the Bible is that it has lots of different literary genres all throughout there. That when you read the Bible, you're going to see things like uh, narrative and poetry, wisdom, prophecy, gospel, letter, and all these other types of genres just littered throughout the Bible. Now, for our study, uh, we've gone through uh, the four Gospels and Acts, and they've kind of had this narrative format. Like when we read through it, it's just regular storytelling kind of way to go. It's got a beginning, it's got a middle, and it's got an end. There's been other things that have kind of jumped in there for us, but that's kind of the big idea that we've gotten so far. We're going to transition now uh, over these next few weeks into the letters section of the Bible. Uh, and that's different than the narrative because uh, as we're going to see here in a little bit, 21 of the 27 books of the New Testament are actually letters, sometimes called epistles. And they're written by guys like uh, Peter and Paul and James and Jude. And what's important to know is that these specific letters are written by a specific author at a specific time to a specific community dealing with a specific issue. In other words, a good way of looking at it uh, is when you read these letters, most of the time the author is writing to a church either uh, in a city or in an area to help them deal with a problem. They're going through something and we have to understand the culture, we have to understand what they're going through and that's going to help us understand uh, the letter a little bit more. Uh, it's not about telling a story. It's not about relating events like we've uh, read up to this point in time, but it's really about helping a church in a specific community deal with their issues as they grow in their understanding of of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. So this morning, we're going to dive into the book of Romans together. Um, If you've read uh, Romans before, uh, you should know that it's written by the Apostle Paul. We know from Acts that at first Paul did not like Christians, did not like Jesus, was persecuting him, and then he met Jesus. And everything changed, right? Like, that could be most of our stories, right? Like, things were rough, and then we met Jesus, and everything changed. That's what happened with Paul. And he got so excited about it that he actually became an early church leader and started churches all over the Roman Empire at the beginning. And he's writing here the book of Romans to the church in Rome, right? That makes sense? Romans, Rome, okay? He's writing to them, and he's writing to do a couple of things. He wants to help them with some of the things they're going through, but he also wants to introduce himself, to the church in Rome. He's never been to Rome before, and so he wants to connect with the church, grow a good relationship with the church, and actually use it as a hub to continue to take the gospel farther west in areas like Spain and things like that. And we know from church history he actually got to do that. Uh, the church in Rome was made up of Jewish and non Jewish believers, so they're different people from different backgrounds, and at times that would cause a little bit of conflict. And so Paul's writing to kind of clarify, like, hey, we're together in this all because of Jesus. Like, we don't have to. We can get along. We don't have to fight on some of these things. He was wanting to introduce that idea and introduce himself as well. So today, we're going to look at a passage that's right in the middle of Romans. Romans. Right in the middle of Romans. I think it's one of the most foundational passages to understanding the entire book of Romans. It can be a little difficult to read through Romans. They use things like uh, justification and righteousness and and just things that we don't talk about all the time. And so it can be a little bit of a roller coaster ride when you're trying to read through the book of Romans. Uh, But to kind of help us grasp some of the big picture ideas here, uh, Paul spends the first half of the book of Romans making the argument That all of mankind, every single person, has fallen short of God's standard. And that it's only through faith in Jesus that we can actually be made right before God. Then he spends the second half of Romans kind of discussing, man, what does our life look like now that we have Jesus in it? And so kind of sandwiched between these two big ideas, uh, this idea of getting Jesus and this idea of living for Jesus, is sandwiched this little passage that I just want to talk about today that we're going to focus on here today. Hopefully you've got your North Point app. Uh, Click on this week's talk on that, and you can kind of follow along, read the different scriptures and points and things like that here. Uh, But we're going to jump into Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 31 here. Uh, This whole section, Paul's kind of split out. A little bit, We'll see. Uh, he asked a lot of rhetorical questions as he's going through here. Lots of questions. Uh, Paul uh, didn't want to just give everybody the answer. He asked rhetorical questions because he wanted them to kind of ingest a little bit and think about it a little bit more. And so um, he's asking these things. He's just talked about our need for faith in Jesus and how one day everything's going to be great and we're going to get to celebrate Jesus' glory together. And then he dives into verse 31 right here. He says this, What then shall we say to these things? For us. Paul asks the main question here in these few verses. He's saying, hey, who who can be against us? Who can be against us? Who, Who is fighting you? Who is it that's opposing you? See, the early Roman church would have recognized that there's a spiritual battle going on, that like Satan is doing whatever he can do to tear down the church. He doesn't want it to succeed. They would recognize that there's a political battle going on. Uh, The Roman uh, Empire would not have loved the idea of people celebrating Jesus as a king. They kind of felt like Caesar should be that guy, so there was issues that were there. Uh, The Jewish believers, some of the Jewish believers at the time, uh, were losing some of their power by this new movement for Jesus that was going on, and so they felt threatened by that as well. People were always looking for ways that they could oppose or tear down the church. Everybody was looking for any way that there was a slip-up, or an argument, or a failure, or something that the church had done wrong, that they could point out and say, ha, see, those Christ followers, they're no good. They're messed up too. They've done this. They do that. They're really not great after all. And Paul is writing here, he wants his readers to begin to recognize that there is real opposition in their life. And there's also the reality that as Christ followers, man, we are not perfect. That church wasn't perfect. We're not perfect. We've all made some bad decisions, right? We've all made poor choices in our lives, mistakes, whatever you want to call it. We're guilty of dumb decisions, and we've done them on purpose. On our own, we're guilty. And the entire world is around us ready to say, ha, see, Christians, you messed up here. You're wrong here. You did this. You did that. And they're ready to oppose us. They're ready to accuse us. They're ready to come at us. And on our own, we are, we're no good, But the good news is we're not on our own. When we read what Paul says, we're not on our own. He's pointing out the fact that even though we're guilty, even though we've missed the mark of God's standard, when we acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord and Savior, we are actually made right. We are made right. That nobody can accuse us. Nobody can condemn us. Nobody can separate us or be against us. Because Jesus is for us. We get the advantage because we have Jesus on our side. See, soon after I graduated from uh, college, Uh, I moved back home and I got to be with some buddies from high school and we had kind of a pseudo life group thing going where we would, you know, see how everybody's doing. We talk about God a lot. We do all these things, Uh, but we had so much time. We were all broke as could be working at restaurants, just trying to have a good time. And so we thought we're going to try new things. And one of the things that my buddies and I wanted to do was learn how to play poker. Like I said, we were broke, so we're playing penny poker. We have no idea what we're doing, just lots of laughs. Everything was really good, and then pride got involved, right? It wasn't about money. It was about, like, I'm not going to let Aaron beat me, and so I actually recognized, like, I got to learn something about this game because I'm getting smoked (laughs) each and every week, and these guys are making fun of me, and I don't want to be a part of this joke anymore, so I'm going to get good at this. And one of the first things you learn when you begin to study poker is the power of the ace card, The power of the ace card. Now, the ace, like most card games, is the most powerful card in the deck. And whenever you are dealt an ace card in poker face down, you have the potential to be dangerous. Because you have something that your opponent doesn't know that you have, and it's powerful. This is where the phrase ace in the hole comes from. I think if Paul were writing to poker players here, he would tell them that they don't need to worry about whatever it is that life may throw at them or whoever tries to stand against them because they always get to start with an ace in the hole. They've already got something powerful on their side. And no matter what comes your way, no matter what accusation Satan tries to throw at you, you have an advocate in Jesus who stands up for you. And knocks down every single charge against you. That Jesus is the greatest defense attorney you could ever have. And he's paid his own fees. Like That's an incredibly powerful thing to have. And so when Paul asked this question, hey, if God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is simply, nobody. (laughs) Nobody can be against us. One of the most encouraging things that we can realize is that we have Jesus on our side. Like the god of the universe that created all things, that knows all things, that controls all things is for you. What can stand against you when you're playing with an ace card like that? Nothing. Nothing. So then the next logical question would be, well, why? Why does this perfect god want to deal with imperfect Me, why does Jesus defend us and protect us? Because we really don't deserve it at all. After all, we know us, right? We know the mistakes that we've made. We know how we've messed up. We know we're not perfect. We recognize we're probably going to screw something else up again. Why would a perfect God be for such imperfect people like you and me? Paul answers in verse 35. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul asked another question, and he, in doing so he explains the why, and the why is simply this. It's love. It's love. Why does Jesus defend us and protect us even though we don't deserve it? He loves us. He loves us. It's not about earning it, it's not about deserving it or even being good enough to get it. But instead, it's about a God who loves deeper, loves better, loves longer than we can even begin to comprehend. But then, what about when things are bad? What about when the pain shows up in my life? When I've lost my job, when I've lost my security, when I've lost relationships or lost protections, when it feels like around the next corner the world is just waiting to attack me again. Where's the love then? Where's my defense attorney then? Where's my ace in those moments? What's interesting is when Paul says these things in this verse, he's actually experienced them. He has gone through times when he's been left hungry, when he's been left in danger, when he's been left for dead, all of that more than one time in his life. Yet he says we are actually more than conquerors because of the love of Jesus. What does that actually mean? If you've been around Christian circles long enough, you've heard this uh, phrase or idea more than conquerors at times. And it's, sometimes it can actually be uh, misused because people like to emphasize that I am more than a conqueror. But the emphasis has never been on me, the emphasis is on the next part of the verse. It's all about through him who loved us. The phrase more than conquerors in the original language uh, means to more than triumph over. It's this idea of, of being a super conqueror, right? Like the greatest superhero ever, super conqueror to save the day, right? Like that's the idea that we're, we're given right here. And it's to show that no matter how bad it may get, God still takes the broken and he makes it beautiful. It's not about what you and I can do, but rather it is through the love of Jesus Everything can be overcome, no matter how hard or how difficult or how scary it may be. Whatever pain may be in your life, be it a a broken marriage, broken business, broken friendships, addiction, rejection, isolation, whatever it feels like that is just so big in your life that it cannot be stopped, it can be conquered because of the love of Jesus. Not because of you or me, but because Jesus takes the broken and he makes it beautiful. He brings life to the dead. You are loved with a love that cannot be stopped and cannot be removed. Paul continues on here in his writing to further emphasize that in these next couple of verses. He says, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing big enough, there is nothing bad enough or powerful enough to keep you from Jesus' love. These are just examples. This isn't some exhaustive list that Paul writes out here. And yet look at it. Rulers, angels, present problems, future problems, even death itself is not big enough to separate you from Jesus' love. You have an advocate who defends you, who protects you, and who loves you all in unstoppable ways. What in the world do we have to worry about? No matter how bad it gets, I don't have to worry because Jesus loves me. No matter how bad I screw up, I'm not abandoned because Jesus loves me. No matter how big my problem may be, I'm not scared because Jesus loves me. When we recognize that we are loved by God in such big and incredible ways, and that changes us. We have freedom, we have assurance, we have protection. And because of that, we can have a confidence. See, the beautiful thing about Jesus' love is that we don't deserve it. We don't earn it, but yet it is just freely given to us. That we don't change to get the love of Jesus, but we're changed when we get it. So then what do we do with this love that we get from Jesus, this incredible love? unstoppable, all-powerful love. And when we get that, we love in return. As we're going to continue to read uh, through this, in, this New Testament in 90 days, we're going to get to a passage in 1 John 4, and it's going to explain to us that we actually love or know how to love because God loved us first. That we actually learn how to love because God shows us love first, first. And what that means is that the things that we care about change when we love God. The way that we spend our time changes when we love God. How we view the world around us changes when we love God because what matters to Him begins to matter to you and me. See, this past week, uh, I just finished on Netflix uh, the series Anne with an E. You guys can hold your applause. It's okay. I get it. Thank you. Uh, and if you don't know Anne with an E, uh, it is all about Anne of Green Gables. Uh, fellas, let me help you out. There's not a single explosion or car chase in the entire 27 episodes, okay? Why did I spend over a day's worth of time watching Anne of Green Gables? Snow. <laughs> it's because I love my wife. It's because I love my wife. And here's the other thing. Uh, We have taken several trips to several different states and gone to several different stadiums to watch several different teams play sports that my wife couldn't name three people on the field for. Why does she go? She loves me. She loves me. And the craziest part about all of this is we actually enjoy, enjoy doing both of these things. That what I watch on TV has changed. The trips that we take have changed. Because we do these things, we enjoy these things, not because of what they are, but because we get to do them together. What started out as doing things for one another has actually morphed into doing things with each other. That loving my wife has changed how I spend my time. It's changed the things that matters to me. It's broadened my view of the entire world. I have learned to love better because I have been loved better God. I don't do things for God anymore. I do things with God because I've been changed by the love of God. Love changes my relationship with God and that same love that I've gotten from him that has changed me actually motivates me to tell others what it is that he's doing in my life. When I begin to understand the love that God has for me, the things that he's done for me, the value that he places on me, man, I want to share that love with other people. I want to give that away to other people. Uh, If you've called my cell phone in the past decade, you've heard the exact same voice message every single time. I've left it on here for over a decade, and it just simply says, hey, you've reached a J, couldn't come to my phone, Uh, leave me a message and I'll try and get back to you. But it ends in a unique way every time. It just says, hey, in case nobody has told you today, God loves you. And the reason that I do that is for two things. Number one, I don't get nearly the amount of spam calls that I got before. Okay? (laughs) Like nobody's leaving a voice message trying to collect money from me for anything when they hear that one. Okay? So I suggest it for that reason. Uh, Number two, I've gotten some pretty cool voicemails over the time. I've gotten some people that have said, I've not heard that before. Or, man, nobody has told me that in a really long time. And I've gotten to have conversations where people ask me, why do you say that on your voicemail? And it's led to some really encouraging conversations, some really great ways that I can tell people about the love that I've gotten from Jesus and the love that he wants to give away as well. See, there are people in our lives that need to know that God loves them. There are people in our life that are craving a love that conquers, that advocates, that protects, that changes and share that love with the people that are around you. Jesus loves in an unstoppable love that he wants us to share with others. Nothing stops his love and nothing separates his love from you. And share that love with the people that are around you. Nothing should stop us from loving in return in the same way that we've been loved. See, when Jesus becomes the Lord and Savior of our life. We move to a place where we do life with Jesus. And as a result, a ton of stories pop up in our life, big stories and small moments that we can share and talk about the incredible ways that God loves us and the incredible things that he's doing. And share those stories. Share that love with others. And then watch as your life and the life of those that are around you begins to be changed by the greatest love that's ever existed in this world. Let's pray and thank God for that love today. Jesus, we just thank you for your love. God, it's Valentine's Day and that's the idea, that's what's in the air, God. I can't help but be moved to think, Father, that you love incredible, unstoppable ways, God. That What can separate us from your love? God, there, there is nothing. Death itself couldn't stop you, Father. And it's because of that love, Father, that we can walk through this world with confidence and with trust, Father, knowing that whatever problems may come our way, your love will see us through. God, may we be so moved and so changed by your love that we can't help but just give it away. Give it away to those that are around us. Give it away at every opportunity, Father, knowing that we live in a world that craves that love. We thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus, and pray in your name. Amen.